0: Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it, or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to share with us today, either by viewing on YouTube or by listening on iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon Prime Music. Uh, As always, we invite you and encourage you uh, to send us feedback on how we're doing. You can reach me at fredjeffsmith at cox.net. Fred Jeff Smith at Cox.net. And let us know how we're doing and how the Thrive Podcast uh, can better serve your needs. Uh, I'm very happy today to welcome uh, as our guest uh, a member of the Chicago Missionary Baptist Church and a candidate for Metro Council District 10, uh, Mrs. Andrea Cozy. Mrs. Cozy, thank you for coming by and sharing with us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me here today.
0: So tell us, how did Andrea Cozy get? here because you're a native of Shreveport. Correct. How, how did you get to Baton Rouge from Shreveport and, and what places have you been in between?
1: Okay, so I attended um, graduate school in Shreveport at the Cedary um, College of Louisiana. I enjoyed being in school there. Started my teaching career, and I wanted to expand on my education. And LSU had a great reputation for educational leadership program, and so I applied. Moved on to Baton Rouge. Got a job as a teacher here in the public schools, mm-hmm. and um, that's what brought me to Baton Rouge.
0: Okay. <sighs> You, you also were telling me before we started recording uh, that you're a military brat. Both your parents were, were in the United States Marine Corps, and, and, and you did some uh, of your undergraduate work, all of you. You graduated from UNC Greensboro. Uh, what's the difference between North Carolina and Louisiana?
1: One of the differences is in the makeup of the city and when I speak upon the makeup, I'm talking about the housing. And Charlotte, when I grew up there, it was the 1970s, 80s, and the city was changing. We had older homes similar to the Baton Rouge, homes that were historical, had been there for generations, but they were falling apart. And the city had a plan to rejuvenate the community Mm -hmm. and renovate and do some urban renewal. Mm -hmm. And it was in a positive manner to the point where the city grew and began to thrive. We were able to attract an NFL, an NBA team to the city. And it was... It started out just like Baton Rouge, though, with people that were um, living in homes that needed to be renovated. The city found a way to make those things happen, and everyone still lives in Charlotte. A lot of people still live there, but um, they're a little bit more proud of their community because we saw it grow and change.
0: Charlotte is kind of a, a sports mecca. You, you mentioned the basketball team. There's also an NFL football team there. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a NASCAR uh, uh, racetrack there right right off from downtown Charlotte. So, so it's kind of a sports mecca. And that seems to have been a drawing card for uh, people to come that way. Uh, as you made the transition from a larger city, because Charlotte is larger than Baton Rouge, uh, to, to a city like Baton Rouge. Uh, is there a, a, a positive to being a part of a smaller community as opposed to a larger community like Charlotte?
1: It's definitely a positive to be in a smaller city. So Baton Rouge, the metro area has over 800,000 people Mm -hmm. in the inner city, a little close to 300,000 people. However, it feels like a small town. Mm -hmm. I can go to the north side of town and see people that I know, southern side of town, um, west over the bridge. You can see people that, you know. So it feels like a small town, even though it's a larger city. Okay. And so I definitely enjoy being here. I think it's a great city. It, it can keep you connected to people because... I, I don't move out of the city because I always say if my car breaks down, I want to be in the city where I know people because I know somebody's going to drive by that I know that's going to help me mm-hmm. along the way. And so that's one of the benefits to being here is that you know that there are people here that are going to help you because you've grown up together. You've known them for generations. Your families have known each other for generations. And when people move to town, they, people embrace them as their family. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the unique unique things about being here in the South.
0: So you came down here uh, to further your education. You started teaching down here. You met your husband down here. Uh, You and your husband uh, own a business down here. Uh, So so you are... uh, an entrepreneur. You, you are an African-American entrepreneur. I've spoken with your husband on, on several occasions, and and he loves to make mention of the fact that he's never worked for anyone a day in his life. He's always worked for himself. And, and, and I appreciate and applaud that kind of entrepreneurship, especially in African-Americans. Can you share with us what the struggles of entrepreneurship are, are and those things that are uniquely difficult for African-Americans in a city like Baton Rouge. I'm I'm sure that entrepreneurship has its struggles that are are universal across the board, but I would imagine that there are struggles that are unique to being an African-American entrepreneur.
1: Yes, it's definitely struggle involved with being an entrepreneur. What makes it doable every day? is being able to achieve your dreams. If someone has a goal or a dream in life, it can be achieved through entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. If you work for somebody else, you're working their dream. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with working for someone else. It, it pays the bills, and a lot for a lot of people, that's the goal, to be employed. As an entrepreneur, you want to employ others and help them to reach their goals and dreams. <clears throat> and so some of the challenges is in being able to hire hire people and be able to afford them a livable wage. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in a business, you're looking at the bottom line and the books, and you know that you need money in order to make the business keep going and go around. And you need employees to build the business, mm-hmm. and you got to have enough money to pay them. And so sometimes the challenges are in just budgeting mm-hmm. to make sure that there's enough for everybody to thrive. Mm-hmm. And one of the goals in lo- in business is to help other people to to grow with the business, and being able to provide jobs for people. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the major challenges and struggles is just uh, balancing growing a business and having enough money to do that, and also contributing to people's lives and helping them to also have uh, money and finances to help their family along as well.
0: I imagine it's a given that COVID has uh, had a negative impact on business across the board. Uh, Has COVID negatively impacted uh, you and your husband's business? Well, Ray J's College of Hair, by the way, for those who might not know what business I'm talking about.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Uh, Ray J's College of Hair. My husband has been operating this business, has been in business for about 27 years now. I personally have been there for about 10 years and uh, I grew into the business. I had to go to barber school first. I had Mm -hmm. to work my way up just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And um, now I'm an owner and we have financial aid and we're able to provide financial aid to other people. Uh, being in that business is a great way to help others and to see other people to thrive and to grow. And um, so I'm trying to remember, what was the question again?
0: How did how has COVID oh, yes. impacted your business uh, for the last six, seven months?
1: Yes. Yeah, so given all of that, we initially saw a decline because people have to go in to the barbershop and receive services in order for the money to flow through the barbering industry. And so when we had a shutdown, there was no money flowing, Mm -hmm. and it was very stressful. People would call in and want to know, you know, what can we do to get our livelihood going again? And we wanted to help them to get started. However, we understood the... um, extreme severity of the disease and the pandemic that was at hand Mm -hmm. a virus is very much like a disease because it never leaves the body once it's there it's a virus it's not bacteria and so therefore we wanted to be back in business but we were kind of restricted our barber school was able to do online programs which was very beneficial we were able to stay connected to our students and every day they knew that we were there to talk with them or Mm -hmm. be there to have daily conversations it impacted our business Negatively, when we couldn't open to the, and serve the public, it affected our business positively because now people realize that they want to be self-employed and that they want to be able to have access to educational opportunities sure. that will allow them to withstand a pandemic mm-hmm. such as what we went through. Mm-hmm. And so we have seen an actual increase in, in people wanting to enroll and have the ability to control their own future.
0: That's a good thought. I I hadn't considered that, and that that makes a lot of sense, that people might feel an impetus towards uh, independence by owning their own businesses as opposed to working for somebody else. So you're an educator. You are a business owner. What sparked your interest in politics? Why, why, Why did you decide to run for Metro District 10?
1: I've always been interested in politics. I think that the government is made up of people, and the people come from the communities that surround that are in the city. Um, I would like to have an opportunity to further my participation in the community. I currently serve with the North Economic Development District Board, I serve as a officer, I have served as an officer with the Louisiana Federation of Teachers. Mm -hmm. I've also been uh, involved in Exxon and their focus groups in the community, and I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I enjoy helping people and interacting with people and just being a part of the greater Baton Rouge family. And I feel like one of the better ways to continue to serve would be seek a seat downtown so that I will be able to participate in conversations to help shape and move the city forward Mm -hmm. in a positive and progressive manner.
0: Mm -hmm. District 10 uh, has a large field of candidates. Uh, If you look across the the listing of of the candidates in various places, uh, in various districts, uh, I think that your district has seven candidates uh, that are running uh, for that seat. Uh, why do you think that there's so many people interested in that particular seat?
1: District 10 has a lot to offer. And it's a large district. We have from Goya Avenue by LSU in the south, all the way up to the avenues in Scotlandville and everything in between, including downtown. And that's a lot of diversity. Mm -hmm. And people are interested in seeing our district move forward. It it encompasses a large part of the historical area of the city, and it should be represented to be an important area of our city. Mm -hmm. So I think that people are concerned and want to be involved in helping to see our city move forward more progressively. And it starts with our main downtown area, which seems to be doing fairly well. However, on both extremes of downtown, we're still seeing pretty much the same old, same old. Um, I'm wearing a t-shirt today, the same old, same old, because it's pretty much what we see in the north and the south mm-hmm. regions of um, on the extreme of downtown. Mm-hmm. And so we want to see it progress. I know I do when I attend forums with the other candidates. They also express interest in moving our city forward with um, transit, better lighting, um, transportation, sidewalks, more unity, and more involvement from the community. And so I think that's what has attracted so many candidates in this particular race, in this particular district at this time.
0: The Metro Council... uh be a very contentious place. Uh, I was trying to find a nice way of saying that. Uh, it, it can be a very contentious place. As, as I sit here quite often in this office watching Metro Council meetings, uh, there tends to be a lot of uh, tribalism uh, that, that that takes place within the Metro Council. The the current makeup, I know it's about to change, we're, we're voting and several uh, uh, current members uh will have to leave because they're term limited. Uh so there's going to be a different uh makeup of the council this time than than what we've had in the past. But the current makeup of the council is seven Republicans, five Democrats, seven whites, five blacks. All the whites are Republican, all the blacks are democrat as you have observed the metro council uh... and and i'm sure that you've gone to the meetings uh... observed the meetings uh... what do you account for the tribalism is it more the political differences between republican and democrat or is it more the cultural and experiential differences between white and black
1: i'd have to say both i think that um, historically, we have some differences along party lines. Republicans have a philosophy and a platform that they um, operate by, and Democrats also do the same. And sometimes it's easy to kind of stay within what's safe. You know you know what your parameters are, and we operate um, within these parameters. This has caused or contributed to some of the contention that you, talk- you speak upon down at the Metro Council but we also have cultural differences as well our needs are different for our communities and each person is there to represent their particular district and their community and because the needs are so different across the board it's sometimes um, very difficult from what I have observed for the other council members to understand the other person's needs. So District 10, for example, has had many needs over the past decade, and some funding has been allocated, but more possibly could be advocated for or could have been allocated. And so that may have been... You're
0: speaking of the budget?
1: Yes, definitely in terms of the budget. I'm talking in terms of money.
0: So now the budget comes from the mayor's office. Right and uh so so the metro council has to give approval to the budget as a metro council representative for district 10 what would your role be in helping to establish what's in the budget that could be beneficial to your district
1: Well, we've got to look at where we're spending our money. And so when the agenda items uh, come up at the Metro Council meeting, it typically has contracts that need to be approved Mm -hmm. and other means and ways of spending the the taxpayers' dollars. And that's one of the roles of the Metro Council members is to get together and to work that budget and make it beneficial for our city. Mm -hmm. So we have definitely got to look at making sure that everybody understands that all districts in this city are important including district ten and that because it represents um, an area of the city that people see when they come through as tourists and that people utilize downtown when they're working or residential areas that people live in that it also needs attention and we need to advocate for some contracts that will help to improve this area as well and i think move br is doing a great um... service to our community by being able to improve the infrastructure and provide sidewalks and lighting and some construction projects throughout the city but we definitely need more and so it would be very helpful to have a council person such as myself if elected who would go down there and make sure that we're advocating for funding for our communities and our district Mm -hmm. and and our city because we all live here and we all drive through or pass through at some point and it would be nice for it to be beautiful and safe and a great wonderful city that everybody can be proud
0: of okay let's talk about funding because funding comes primarily from taxes uh... in 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 this upcoming uh... election uh, as we're recording this today is the first day of of early voting Uh, uh... one of the amendments uh... that is on the ballot for the state legislature amendment five has to do with circumventing the industrial tax exemption program uh... by allowing corporations uh... to negotiate directly with uh... various uh... government entities the metro council being one school board being the other and the sheriff's department being the third uh... to pay a fee but not to pay property taxes, I can tell you now, I'm opposed to that. Uh, so that that's just speaking for me. Uh, I'm asking you, what are, what are your thoughts about Amendment Five? There are other amendments on there, but but Amendment Five is the one that that, that really troubles me. I I don't see how you can call yourself a, a good neighbor, a good citizen, uh, and uh, if, if if I understand the the parameters of your district Exxon is in your district uh, Exxon is one of the biggest employers if not the biggest employer in East Baton Rouge parish but Exxon regularly applies for tax-exempt status uh, on improvements and new facilities that they provide uh, and and now they are one of the main, entities that are trying to circumvent the whole program and 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 say well we'll pay you X amount of dollars in lieu of paying property taxes now I know how I feel about that I think I've made it clear how I feel about that as 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 a candidate for Metro Council what are your thoughts about amendment 5 because it's going to come up
1: yes amendment 5 is definitely of a concern It's definitely unfair for large corporations to uh, to make a huge profit here in not only our city but in the state of Louisiana and not think it's their responsibility to pay on their property taxes. If I don't pay property taxes then I'm not really being a good neighbor because And they're
0: gonna we, come take your house?
1: And they're gonna come take my house. But they
0: ain't gonna take Exxon?
1: No. Uh, no. Okay. And Just wanted
0: to make that point.
1: Right, right. Yeah. But if there's a fire, even though Exxon has their own fire department, if it gets large enough and it's out of hand, they're going to need the city to come out as well. Absolutely. And so they have access to the city amenities and the infrastructure of the city, yet and still they don't want to pay their fair share of taxes to help support the city. We can see that it's that we need assistance here in our city with the infrastructure. There are some problems with drainage and lack of sidewalks and poor lighting. And we have uh, some issues with crime, which may be in part contributed to the – falling infrastructure mm-hmm. or failing infrastructure that we have. And if we have entities here who earn the kind of money that ExxonMobil earns, as well as some of these larger corporations, um, well, formerly ExxonMobil, Exxon now, that they actually don't and they don't want to pay taxes is terribly unfair. We need um, police. We need fire. We need um, city employees. And so revenue has to be generated in order to meet those needs. And people need to know that Exxon is not paying their fair share. They need to know that what we do receive as a contribution is actually not equivalent to what would be received from actual property taxes. Some of the most expensive property in the state is owned. And it's situated in those areas. That is correct. And so it's definitely important that people know that we should not be negotiating and making backroom deals that have the um, ability to be extended five years, 10 years, 15 years, because there's no, no actual. There's no sunset on it. There, exactly. No there's sunset. There's no sunset
0: on it at all. It could go on for 100 years.
1: Exactly. While, while the city is in need of services. And the residents here, some residents earn more. The median wages in um, District 10 is around 26000 That's not enough money for people to, to build a whole new city. But we've got actual businesses here that do use our, our city, and they earn a uh, profit. And I think it's fair that we all pay property taxes fairly. If I got to pay taxes, they should be able to pay taxes.
0: I appreciate the fact that you said that, uh, and, and and I, I hope that uh, should you be one of those who sit on the Metro Council that you would reaffirm that uh, when these issues come up in the future. We suffer, and, and this is a little bit beyond your purview, uh, as a state, we suffer from some of the most regressive taxes in the nation, uh, we 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 don't pay property taxes like we should because we have the seventy-five thousand dollar homestead exemption, which I personally think should go away. Uh, and and to substitute for that or to make up for that, we millage ourselves to death, and uh, we have the highest sales tax or one of the highest sales tax rates. Uh, in the country, regressive taxes uh, hurt and harm poor and marginalized people, uh, and 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 for corporations to come in on top of that and say, while you're down, let me kick you, and and let me uh, get away with not paying property taxes. I, I'll give you a nickel on the dollar that I actually owe, and it, it, it's positively insulting. And I'm, I, I, for one, am aghast at the fact that politicians on any level would find reason to support such a, uh, a, a clearly unfair, inequitable idea as Amendment 5. Glad I got that off my chest. <laughs> the Metro Council is, is, is still dealing with uh, the question about a settlement for the Alton Sterling uh, family. Uh, most recently, uh, it came up and it, and, and the vote uh, was not successful uh, because of a technicality. Is, it has had to be reintroduced and it'll come up again, uh, perhaps before you take office. But I'm just curious, had you been one of those voting, what would have been your vote with regard to the Sterling decision?
1: Definitely have to vote in favor of providing a settlement offer to the family. I understand that no one wants to reward what is perceived as bad behavior. However, most of the time when people are accused of doing something wrong, they have an opportunity to go to court and prove whether or not um, the accusations are true or false. In this situation, The um, suspect, he lost his life before we could find out the whole story. And we were all affected by what we saw taking place out on the streets with that officer, those officers, and um, the man, Alton Sterling, who lost his life. Uh, I do believe that if there's a resolution and it only requires some monetary payment, of some sort, then it should be um, taken into account, and I would definitely vote yes to provide that funding so that we could bring a resolution and an end to the situation. This is 2020, okay, and this event happened, wasn't it, in 2016? 2016. Okay. Yes. Every morning. Um, I, when I look at your page, I see that there's another day that, that has taken place since this event occurred. And it's time to bring a resolution and move forward. And I see that the Metro Council has the ability to approve all, approve all types of contracts, and money is being spent in all types of ways, and all of it doesn't have a a clear-cut way of being reviewed to find out if the money was spent well. There's no oversight, and everybody doesn't report back. We have some master plans here in the city that uh, money was spent to develop, and we still haven't developed the plans. And that money was just, I guess, wasted. Well, we have a family here that is seeking a settlement offer as a resolution, and we—if the money is available, it should be provided to that family so that we can move forward and make amends. You can never bring back someone's life, but let's let's stop with traumatizing people on this issue any further. Let's bring some resolution to it.
0: Let me stay with law enforcement for just a second. Just the other day, uh, Baton Rouge Police Department uh carried out a no knock warrant uh and went into a home and it turned out to be the wrong home. Uh we saw this happen and end tragically uh with the death of a young woman by the name of Brianna Taylor uh who was shot to death in her home uh and by most accounts was asleep in her home when this took place. Uh I I have a problem with the whole idea of a no-knock warrant. Uh, the, the the initial explanation that I have seen is that they were uh, trying to arrest someone who was uh, charged with attempted murder or, or suspected of of having tried to murder someone. Uh, to knock on the wrong door, to kick in the wrong door, to destroy the home of a family and and even to come back later and say, well, we'll pay for the damages. Uh, it, you can't pay for the trauma that you have done uh, to this family. Uh, I have a problem with no-knock warrants, uh, as carried out by the Baton Rouge Police Department. I think Murphy Paul has done an outstanding job, and I would give him uh, passing marks on everything, but I have a problem with no-knock warrants. What's your position on no-knock warrants with regard to law enforcement in East Baton Rouge Parish?
1: Well, I think it's ludicrous. I don't think that the police department should have the ability to go to someone's home and enter the home without knocking especially given the fact that there's been more than one incident where they were in the wrong home. It's like people should really learn from their mistakes. If we see that there has been a problem, especially with something as large as Brianna Taylor and the incident that occurred surrounding the loss of her life, yet and still, here we are. Um, sometime later and it's happened again right here in Baton Rouge and so somebody's really not taking into consideration that some of the tactics are not effective well we wouldn't continue to do the same things over and over again Uh, I definitely don't think that uh, no knock warrants are good Uh, I don't see the purpose of the no knock warrant because if someone's at home and they're they're sleeping and you hear and they hear an intruder at the door because they're in their home they have a right to pick up a firearm and defend themselves within yes. their home yes and so when someone anybody including a law enforcement officer enters someone's home unannounced they're subject to the same um, ramifications and so I don't think that uh, we need to be doing things like that or encouraging those type of tactics.
0: Let me flip the page. Uh, St. George is about to come up again. Uh, uh, Currently uh, our our current mayor who is running for re-election is a part of a lawsuit uh, trying to uh, stop St. George from incorporating until St. George answers certain questions regarding uh, the administration of their government, uh, the cost that it's going to take and how it is going to uh, impact the parish for them to pull out and form their own municipality. Uh, St. George, to my way of thinking, is, is people's idea of a way of getting control of an independent school system uh St George was not birthed because people all of a sudden said we need another city in East Batonwich Parish. It was birthed from the idea of we want an independent school system. Primarily because uh the white folk who live out there don't want to pay, continue to pay for private and parochial schools. They 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 want to have uh an independent school uh, district uh that's public uh where they can send their children and their children would not, uh, be, uh, uh, mixed in with a large number of African-American students. That's the fact that that that's where this whole thing came from. Uh, do you support the mayor's position with regard to, uh, making St. George answer the questions? My, my opinion is if they want to go, go, but pay as you go. Don't, leave and leave all of the costs here behind. Don't go thinking that you're going to take uh, East Baton Rouge Parish school facilities and 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 uh, we're just going to hand them over to you uh, without charge. Don't go saying that you're not going to be responsible for any of the legacy costs that the parish is going to have to pick up on. I have no problem with them exiting. I do have a problem with them trying to exit without pain i've seen this happen before i saw this happen with central and i don't want to see it happen again with saint george do you support the mayor's position uh, with regard to saint george central
1: saint, jo- saint george which isn't quite a city yet right but we're on, they're on the way or, or have aspirations to be a city um, has been controversial since the idea of a St. George. I believe that everyone has a right to live in this city and live wherever they want to live. I also believe that people have a right to decide that they want to educate their children in the best possible environment and also believe that the environment would be better if the children could attend school together and residents could live together and we could live as one large family here in Baton Rouge. However, members of the community have decided to break away they have decided that they would like to form their own city and they should be able to do so however it's very costly to start a city. Baton Rouge uh, was founded way back in the eighteen hundreds and has had a significant cost associated with its formation for hundreds of years. It's really kind of crazy to think that St. George can break away and become a thriving city that rivals Baton Rouge by taking everything that Baton Rouge has to offer along with it and we know that the cities are interconnected well when there is a St. George city they'll be interconnected so what good would it be to have a St. George if Baton Rouge is decrepitated and fallen apart and unable to pay its bills because St. George took everything with away from the city. So I I think that people sh- should be able to go and do what they want, but they need to be able to pay the costs associated with leaving. And those costs uh, are significant, but it's necessary. and people just kind of have to pay their fair share and make sure that and that's the operative word fairness and equity a part of the reason why our schools are suffering is because the money that's allocated for the children is not distributed fairly and equitably across the board so of course people think I've got to take my child, and I've got to put them in private school. Well now private school's too expensive, I need to just kind of get my neighbors and we all kind of break away and have our own school district because those schools are not that great.
0: I just find it interesting that public schools were great until 1954 yeah. and, 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 and after 1954 public schools became the worst things in in, in the world.
1: and that's to a, no- to,
0: to a large segment of of, of white folk, uh, not just in this state but across. The nation, P- public schools were fine. Public schools were the thing that defined America and made America the great nation that it was until 1954, yeah. and, and and then everything about a public school became terrible.
1: And that's the other thing, okay. I believe in neighborhood schools. I think that children should not have to be going all the way across town, get on the transfer system, to go to a school that their parents may not be able to get to for the parent student conference mm-hmm. day. So, in having neighborhood schools, because of the makeup of our city and the, 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 the divide of the neighborhoods, they're going to be segregated to some degree. When you have a city that has a population that that's over sixty percent African American, then you're going to have segregated areas but they need to be good schools no matter where a child attends school and so if all of our schools could be equitably funded then there wouldn't appear to be a problem where people need to take their children and go to a better school system in other words we need to have a better East Baton Rouge Parish school system, and we need to work to make sure that it can include all people of all income levels so that people feel like that they don't have to leave our community to go somewhere to find better services.
0: Well, my response to that would be, and and we're gonna move on to something else, but my response (laughs) to that would be is nobody told you that you had to leave. All all they asked you to do was comply with the law and and allow your children to go to school uh, with children of a different hue. No, nobody asked you to you decided that you needed to leave and for 50 years you decided that you had to pay for private and parochial schools until you had no money left and now you have decided in in, in, in your sage wisdom that uh, the, the best thing that we can do would be to form an, a, a city so that we can have an independent school district so that we can have a better school system. What about getting involved in the school system that already exists? That's my platform, not yours. Let me talk about the plan of government. Okay. Uh, in, in 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 the most recent Metro Council meeting, uh, proposals uh, were presented, uh, they haven't been discussed yet, I don't believe, presented for a shift in the plan of government And I'm sure that there are several things in there that I'm not aware of, but the thing that I want to bring before you is the idea of uh, changing the composition of the Metro Council from 12 uh, uh, districts uh, that are independent districts to 10 independent districts and two at large Metro Council seats. I, I see problems with that whole idea. But I'm curious, uh, are you familiar with that and what are your thoughts about that as you're running for Metro Council?
1: Okay, so I recently became familiar with the proposal for us to change the structure of the government. It's not a new conversation, but it's recently become um, headlines again. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important for us to know that any time you change, there's a learning curve. And so if we were to, to adopt a new method of running our government, it's going to take time to get it together, which may not be actually what we need at this time because we're already dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, and that consumes a large enough amount of everybody's time trying to figure out how we're going to move forward as a community and a city. So. Making changes of that magnitude at this time may not be what we really need. We need to work with what we have already Mm -hmm. so that we can um, meet the challenges that are gonna be coming forward and across our desk over the next year or two, because there's still not a vaccine. And without a vaccine, it's hard for people to meet together and have proper conversations where you can have input from everybody. So at this time, to try to change the form of government may confuse people and it may not be what we need at this time.
0: So as you are engaging in the public and and you made mention of the fact earlier that your district is is large and and covers a great deal of geography within the parish, uh, and that there are differences uh, with the residents that are part of District 10. What do you think they see as the most pressing needs for your district?
1: When I'm out talking to the residents of the district, which I enjoy doing, I meet a lot of really nice people and get to interact with people that I've worked with in the past and had a relationship with. Many people are concerned about crime, Mm -hmm. and nobody wants to hear gunshots in their area. And nobody wants to think that what we term or coin as a a progressive thing, economic development, Mm -hmm. nobody wants to really think that economic development is actually contributing to crime. And some of our neighbors do actually think that. Some of them believe that as we... Build these communities. We use the word affordable housing, which is like a code word for low income housing, mm-hmm. which is a code word for crime will soon be coming to my community because we've got um, residents moving in who um, don't earn an, enough money. And they may be in my home next to try to meet their needs mm-hmm. uh, with crime. And so some people are concerned about crime and the creeping Of crime into the inner city as we try to develop the inner city. Others are concerned about the lighting and how it contributes to crime or lack of lighting. But most importantly, the residents are concerned about the drainage. Many people say that it's getting worse Mm -hmm. and that it's Due to, once again, the development and not having enough green spaces for the water to be absorbed properly. But instead, we have a lot of concrete, which allows the water to run off and build up in areas that contribute to flooding. And not just flooding when people get ready to go to work, but also flooding their homes and flash flooding at inconvenient times. Mm -hmm. And so that's a huge problem because we know that the infrastructure is old, but people pay taxes. Everybody's making purchases, so we're definitely paying sales taxes in uh, in some type of way. And there's a lot of different millages and taxes here and taxes there. So we know that there's money that could be allocated toward improving our infrastructure, but it doesn't seem to be getting done. There are potholes in the middle of the city, little cones everywhere. Some of them have flowers growing up over them. They've been there so long. Mm -hmm. Um, And people want the drains and the sewage fixed. I know my water bill was increased and my sewage bill also. I Mm -hmm. thought it was going to be used to help fix the city. And here we are once again four years later from the great flood of 2016, and people are still experiencing the same problems. Um, if we need to clean the dra- present drains that we have, then we need to make that a priority. But knowing that we live in a low-lying area, we definitely need to prioritize making sure that the water doesn't rise on us and ruin, ruin the property here that people have invested in.
0: We've invested a lot of money in in levees. Uh, we sit on the river, and, and, and so we've spent a lot of money in levees. Uh, for about nine years I lived in New Orleans uh, you know, went to school there my first pastorate was down there New Orleans has more than a levee New Orleans has pumps I, I I have to acknowledge that I don't know if there are pumps in the Baton Rouge area but I don't see pumps in the Baton Rouge area do you think it might be something worth looking into investigating for the city to consider the idea of pumps so that uh, water can be more quickly uh, uh, taken off of the streets and out of these flood areas uh, and and put into rivers and drainage canals that would allow uh, people to not have to suffer the flooding that they have suffered?
1: Yes, I think that we definitely need to invest in improving the drainage system. We're right here on the Mississippi River. There's no reason for water to be backed up and, and stuck stagnant on the bank of a river, the money ought to be able to flow and go back into the river. We're only a couple miles um, from the river. The whole city of Baton Rouge is right here, Riverfront City. And so I think it would definitely be beneficial for us to invest in ways to pump the water out of the city if the pumps don't exist. I think there are some pump stations here that I've heard people refer to, Mm -hmm. but they definitely has not been any investment into making sure that our city is moving forward with our drainage issues. It's still a problem. People are still complaining and people are nervous and they're scared because they've already experienced these problems in 2016 and they're afraid it may happen again. Mm -hmm. So whenever we have mention of a flood or water moving in in the form of a storm, then people get nervous. They want to know, well, has the city come out to clean out the drainage? Um, they start, I see them, people in my community moving the, the leaves from in front of the drain, just trying to make sure that the water is going to flow. Mm-hmm. But every city, especially one that is flood prone, such as Baton Rouge, should be investing in plans to help to keep the city uh, water free. Mm-hmm. That's not something that you want to be known for as a city that floods. You want to be known as a city like New Orleans that knows that, th- that they're prone to have water coming in. And they've taken the time to work with the federal government and city entities and state entities to help to um, put together
0: proper infrastructure. How much should a haircut cost?
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to tell in, in, you in, in 2020. <laughs>
0: how how much should, should 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 a haircut cost? So a standard haircut. I'm not talking about these fancy design hair uh, uh, shave things that people have done. Just a standard, regular, run-of-the-mill haircut.
1: So when I ask our graduates how much they charge for haircuts. They tell me that a haircut is twenty five or thirty dollars and up. Because see a barber they set their own prices. So it's not regulated.
0: You so run a school, do, do you all recommend pricing or, or some kind of schedule of fees? For, for such a thing? I'm just curious. Yeah.
1: At our barber school, we only charge $10 for a haircut. But okay. you get a top-notch haircut because we have the most talented students in the city attending school at Ray J's College of Hair. When they graduate, they know that from that point forward, they set their own prices. And that's what makes it such a great profession is because we can tell them, okay, look, we're not, we're not doing $10 haircuts anymore. You know, um, don't go out there charging $10. And so we don't regulate the industry, but we can definitely advise those that work within the industry that they need to make their prices competitive. Mm -hmm. Now, my husband always tells them, you know, don't charge your client $50 for a haircut and they um, don't have any hair. Like actually give them a service that they can actually benefit from and charge them fairly. Mm -hmm. So haircuts are more expensive now Mm -hmm. after the pandemic people needed to be able to get their income back up to par and they definitely had to pay for more personal protective equipment and an increase in services has come about and you know, people are paying it and they're happy to get those haircuts. You know, they don't want to go back to the pre-pandemic um, phase one and phase two.
0: Well, for me, you couldn't have told one way or the other because <laughs> my hair ran away a long time ago. I was just curious uh, uh, as to what a, 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 a typical haircut costs these days When, when I was a boy, my mother took me to the barber uh, they were charging $2 for a haircut. Now you're telling me between 25 and $35. So uh, times they are changing.
1: Yes, they are.
0: What, what, what's the last word that you want to uh, give to us, uh, Mrs. Cozy, with mm-hmm. regard to your candidacy?
1: Well, i like to say I've really enjoyed this conversation today. Uh, you're our pastor. My husband and I attend church here at Shiloh, and we enjoy your sermons. Uh, People know that you are dedicated to the community. They know that you're involved in the community and they know that they can trust your word. So it's been refreshing to have a conversation with you and to have you to be able to continue to guide me towards additional thoughts about our community by providing me some information about how you feel about our community. I would like to say that Baton Rouge is one of the best places for us to start improving and bringing educational opportunities and actually um, just being involved. When I say Baton Rouge is a place where you want to get involved. Baton Rouge is a place where you can. it feels like home. There's a, there's a family here and people should want to be involved with their family and so I encourage them to do so. I'd like to see everybody kind of rallying together so that we can put our plans together, bring our city to where we need it to be in terms of our our ideal vision. We all have dreams and we all have goals. And why should we move to Houston or Dallas or Charlotte in order to make those dreams come true when we've got a wonderful city right here full of great people who are dedicated and want to be involved. So now is the time to make sure that we get everybody involved. Let's encourage our neighbors to to be a part of the government, find out what's happening, have a voice and a, a say in what takes place. And there's got to be a representative. i like to go down there and represent, but I want to go with the ideas of the people. I want people to have their concerns heard and I want them to have their needs met. And I think that if you go down for early voting, vote Andrea Cozy, number 129 on the ballot and make sure that you would Um, are at the polls on the last day, November the 3rd.
0: Thank you so very much for taking the time to come and share with us today. Andrea Cozy, candidate for Metro Council District 10. Thank you all for viewing. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back again next time.